0: So, welcome to the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. On this podcast, Gemma and I are delighted to be joined by Cressy Wesling, who is the co founder of Elvis and Cressy. Welcome to the podcast, Cressy. Hi. So, why don't we talk about how you got started? Tell us about your brand, what it is that you do, and, um, and, and why sustainability has kind of been at the heart
1: of everything that you've, you've created. Elvis and Cressy does essentially three things, three simple things. We rescue materials, we transform them into wonderful things, and then we donate 50% of our profits to charity. So we rescue, we transform, we donate. And the reason we started the company back in 2005 is that we discovered that London's decommissioned fire hoses were going to landfill. So this is a 25 year old fire hose that's reached the end of its health and safety life or maybe it's a younger fire hose but it's been to an event and it's had a catastrophic tear and it can't be repaired and we looked at this material that was beautiful and red and life-saving and thought it can't go to landfill it's too spectacular for that so the company was established purely to rescue hose The reason we became a brand is because you know I thought initially that I'd be able to call five people and find some industrial use for the hose that didn't happen what we discovered while we were researching the material and trying to understand you know what its next best second life would be but also um, but also what the materials properties were you know we we discovered that that actually it had a it had a synergy with the luxury industry because many brands have been using a similar material for, for decades. We also discovered that the luxury industry had failed people and planet. You know, there was this amazing report that had been commissioned by the World Wildlife Fund to examine luxury companies. And it discovered that they were really not performing above a C in terms of their commitment to the environment and to its people. And we thought, surely, surely this industry can do better and so we had this material that was perfect (laughs) we had this industry that we thought was a failure Mm -hmm. and and it was the it was an amazing opportunity to jump in and try something completely different
0: and was that your background was that was had you been designing product before in the luxury sector
1: no we didn't know anything about luxury or fashion or um, absolutely nothing. It, it it was not in our background at all. We were led by the material, and we'll always be led by the material. So when I say that we do these three things: rescue, transform, donate. Rescue is first. The material is first. The problem is first, and then we just marshal all of our resources and our skills and our ingenuity behind that problem. And and if I find an, a better use for a decommissioned fire hose tomorrow, then I'll I'll be doing that instead. I suppose.
2: I see from your website that you will say uh, rescue, uh, parachute silk, printing blanket and leather as well. Um, And I guess you've found a way to turn all of these things into luxury items. I think as I was reading through your website um, earlier and looking at what you do, I was just wondering, as you say, I think you've partly answered the question. Have you considered turning these things into more, I guess, volume pipe products for other markets and, and seeing, you know, how, how they go and how they sell and, and the interest there on a more mass market level.
1: Well, I wouldn't do that with fire hose because there no. isn't that much fire hose. So it's it's actually quite a rare commodity as it is. Equally the amount of work that has to go into it to make it into a viable textile means that going down that mass market route just doesn't really fit. And also we have to question the mass market route period. You know, we have a society that has single-use stuff everywhere. We have a burgeoning, gluttonous, fast-fashion space that seems to think it's acceptable to, you know, sell two-pound t-shirts. And when you see a two-pound t-shirt, all it is, is is exploitation. It's exploitation of the environment. It's exploitation of people. And I'm not prepared to be involved in a business model which which on the surface looks wonderful and great and green but hides a multitude of sins with respect to a supply chain and, and with respect to the environment. So I, I I I don't think I don't think I love the mass market. No, I no, we we
2: certainly don't. I do. I think what keeps coming up in some other some of our other podcasts is the fact that uh it's, it's sustainable items or sustainable products. Um, are are set at a price point that makes them uh, unavailable or unattainable to to a broader market, and therefore these people will then continue to buy the two pound t shirts, the you know the mass produced stuff. And it, it, I guess it's finding, as with everything, it's finding that balance between getting people of the the volume end of the market to to change their behaviours and purchase things that last longer that come from a more sustainable background really, and how do, we, how do we change those behaviors? And that's where marketing generally comes in. And what we're trying to do is get people to change their behaviors. Don't consume, 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 consume at the cheap end with no sort of understanding of where your products are coming
1: from. But the, but the person whose behavior has to change is Jeff Bezos. The person whose behavior has to change is, is, is the person who's paying his workers less than a living wage. Is is the the owners of Walmart? You know, we, I I think that we we can't expect people who earn extremely small wages to spend those wages differently. We have to expect companies to pay their their colleagues appropriately, and and that's the thing that has to change. Those are the attitudes that have to change. That's the selfishness and the greed that's got to go, um, because. You know the, you, you go back to a time of Henry Ford. He wanted to make cars that everyone he, who worked for him could afford. And that's what ethical and sustainable businesses do um, because they look at how their colleagues are, are paid and incentivized. And the companies that think it's acceptable to pay people on zero-hours contracts um, below, below minimum wage are behaving legally, unfortunately, in an acceptable way, but morally in an indefensible way. And that 's something that that has to change worldwide because otherwise you 'll have companies that continue to shop for cheap labor wherever that labor might be found and continue to exploit um you know weak regulation wherever those regulations might be found and that 's not always overseas i mean we had we had during the pandemic um you know it, it was discovered that that boohoo was working yeah, yeah, with a factory yeah. in the uk that was not paying its people appropriately and i'm telling you a living wage is not an enormous burden for a company to bear so i no. i so i find it uh, so 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 the behavior that has to change is the behavior of people who think that they only owe it to their shareholders to make them more money and not to their colleagues to ensure they have a good quality of life Absolutely.
0: and and of course this you are a b corp and uh, and the b corp very much aligns with that equality and that that shared uh, you know it's a collective it's a collective effort isn't it into into production into mm-hmm. that shared shared wealth so Did you, when you, when you set out uh, with Elvis and Cressy, did you always consider, did you know about B Corps? Was it something that was, you know, this is how we're going to structure the business? Um, Or was it something that you, you
1: learned about and felt, okay, that's us? Well, we, so Elvis and Cressy started before the B Corp movement existed. So, yeah. so we, um, you know, we are kind of, I suppose, ahead of the curve. No, I mean, we didn't set up the business to respond to a specific regime. You know, I didn't know very much about social enterprises when we started either. But we are a certified social enterprise as well. The reason that we decided to go to be a part of these two movements, uh, you know, certainly social enterprise has been going for much longer than, yeah. than us, is because it, you can have a greater impact as a community of businesses rather than on your own. So when you're a part of the social enterprise movement, it's a movement that's trying to change things Mm -hmm. rather than just you as a single entrepreneur. But yes, I do love that both of these movements focus on, let's say, the wage discrepancy between the highest paid and the lowest paid within an organization. They focus on you know, how, how companies work with their supply chains, how companies work with their colleagues. They focus on what are the, you know, the opportunities for people long-term within these businesses and are they positive or not. Um, and, you know, specifically to be more, you have to change the legal underpinnings of your business to say yes. that shareholders are not more important than people and planet. Absolutely. And that is something that I've always felt to be rational and correct. And I actually don't think there's anyone in the world who can argue that it is rational to prioritize a shareholder at the expense of a human being or at the expense of the environment for generations to come. I have yet to meet someone who, who can argue that rationally. It's the system we've got. Yes, But I don't think any human being could argue that successfully.
0: So that system, these constructs that we have, that we all abide to, I mean, it, you know, it's something that I now consider, and I think, you know, anybody can go to company's house in the UK, they can set up a business, they get, there are no, there are no restraints or guidelines on really on, on commercial behavior. No. And that, that to me, when I I didn't really know that much about B Corps, and and when I when I came to understand it, I was kind of like, well, why isn't it just that? Surely that should just be the default setting of a business. That if you want to go into business, you have to be responsible. Because if we go back before, uh, you know, the seventies and uh, when things started to kind of shift, maybe the fifties actually, when we go back to. Some of these businesses that were founded, like the Cadburys and even the Unilevers, this was all based on doing good for the society that you served. You know, they were building schools, they were building houses for the workers, they were making sure that, you know, not always for altruistic reasons, but for for reasons of productivity. But but, but there was more of a concern about employee well-being than, than maybe we moved away from those employees being important and And you know, aligned with us rather than this hierarchy of, oh well, they're just the workers, and we're just here to make as much money as we have to give to the shareholders how How do we get back to those kind of beginnings?
1: well i I think with with respect to some of the chocolate companies, they're probably an unfortunate example because yes. they're great to their workers in the u k. but who was growing the chocolate? Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. um so there was a there was certainly some 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 colonialism there and 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 a and a history of slave labor which is which which is exactly as unacceptable as the situation that we've got now so the problem for me is that companies have have been good historically at kicking the can down the road but now that we have the internet and we're able to understand the entire the, the entire world all at once we shouldn't be able to kick any can anywhere, including into space. You know, there's a lot of companies that think it's fine to just put hundreds of thousands of satellites into space, but that's just another kind of pollution too. Um, so so I don't know if it's – I don't actually think it's getting back to something. I think the history of – I think the history of humanity is pretty ugly when mm. you, you break it down, but I do think that, that we – I do think that we have an obligation to change the regulations around uh, around corporate behavior, and the reason I I would advocate for a change of the law and for actually the Companies Act to change is because I don't think there's a lot of companies that simply won't comply unless they're forced to. Yeah, you know, my first job was in a venture capital business based in Asia, and it was it, it served the profit motive. I th- I found that world very interesting because I also learned what you were talking about before was that was that um a company can pretty much do whatever it wants. Yeah. And and I thought at the time how liberating is that? I can set up a company and as long as it makes some money, I can give all of that money away. I can rescue materials, I can do all these crazy and innovative things, but my motivation is to is to sort of focus on how much good can a good company do if a good company yeah. decides to be an unbelievable regenerative company that's my focus but i i can't i can't pretend that everyone else's focus is the same for a lot of human beings the profit motive is key and i think we have to take that off the table when we're as fundamentally aware as we are today of climate change and of exploitation in supply chains we have to r- remove um, the temptation, I think.
0: And do you think we're moving in the right direction? Have you seen anything that gives you hope?
1: Yes, I, I, I absolutely I have. You know, our, our company has grown almost without effort over the past 16, 17 years. It's not because we're geniuses at marketing. We know absolutely nothing about it. We do something good. We tell people about what we do and and i think we we have grown almost exclusively to down to good to goodwill but also because the market for this kind of product and this kind of business is growing because people want to know who made my clothes you know where did this come from what is the provenance and they want to know that with food they want to know that with the things that are in in their home and i think that's only going to grow and grow and increase and increase yeah consumers want to
2: understand the, the greater cause that sits behind your products and services. And, you know, we saw an interesting study that showed that uh, 76% of marketers believe that their organization have a purpose, but only 10% believes it actually goes anywhere beyond um, the, the products and services that they actually supply. So I think, you know, Michelle and I have been talking to a lot of people around how we need to take everything back all the way to the to the to the why you exist and what you do and and people should want to have an understanding as you say your company's growing because people hear your story and they actually they buy into it they like it they they support it and therefore they're willing to you know engage with you whereas okay. if you go to the amazons of the world that's about getting things fast cheap quick and you know it's a very transactional um mm. uh, relationship so I guess, you know, you also give away 50% of your profits to causes. How do you, um, I mean, some of them are obvious causes uh, in, you know, in terms of firefighters buyer, charity and, and the host, the fire hoses. But how do you, um, how do you come to sort of select the causes that you give to you? Is there any sort of background to it or is it, does it happen and does it evolve as you move forward with your business?
1: So the, the decision to give the money to the firefighters was, as you say, very easy. I met the fire brigade in London in 2005. I said, wow, I'm going to so- solve this hose problem. And if it comes to anything, I'll give you half. You know, it was a spontaneous on-the-spot decision um, that turned out to be, to be wonderful. How that's evolved over time is that, you know, the best day of the year for us is when our accountant comes back to us and tells us how much tax we owe. because that's the day we also know how much fifty percent of our profits can achieve yeah. so we, we tend to, at Elvis and Cressy to have a tax party and we we pretend the government spends all of our contribution on wonderful things like the <laughs> and uh, education for our young children we, that's what we pretend but with respect to the charities that we that we choose yes it has to mean something to us we think it has to be important because we the the amount of goodness that we feel, um, by doing that uh, is multiplied by the goodness that those charities uh, achieve in themselves. And the firefighters charity focuses on, you know, ensuring that the firefighters have a healthy life physically and mentally, as well as their families, whether, whether they be in active service or retired. And then I guess, you know, our relationship with Barefoot is, is also interesting because, We wanted to choose something that resonated with our leather rescue project, and people don't quite get why why we should be creating scholarships for women to train as solar engineers when we're selling rescued leather goods. And the connection to me was simple. Cows and climate change are inextricably linked. I would like there to be less leather waste. I would like people to eat overall less meat and us to contribute less to, to climate change. But we have this leather, it's a waste problem. And I think if we can use that 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 product to combat climate change while also empowering women, creating educational opportunities for people in disadvantaged parts of the world, we can change the energy future for those communities and make it renewable energy, we can spark new businesses, then why wouldn't we go for something that was a win-win-win-win-win-win-win? I mean, Barefoot literally tackles every single sustainable development goal every single
2: one. Yeah. And I love that. It's, you know, there's a problem out there and then that problem isn't going to change anytime soon. So why not try and do something good out of all of this waste and this bad that is happening? I think that's, you know, a really, really strong message and it's it's doing something in the interim until maybe behaviours do change, until we do start eating less meat, until all of those things, hopefully, I don't know how many times we can kind of push the conversation of, your house is on fire if your bedroom's on fire you're not going to just carry on sitting downstairs watching tv you can do something about it aren't you but we just seem Mm -hmm. to sit on this burning platform and keep throwing you know uh, oil and petrol on it all the time (laughs) you know shit. but shareholders you know without without planet there are no shareholders are there so (laughs) uh yeah it's 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 really fantastic work what are doing, and and it's
0: interesting, Chrissy, that you say you know we're not marketers. We're just doing what we do. You know, we do But but clearly, you are, and and it's the brand story that you're that you're sharing, and that that is. That element of that responsibility and the responsible stance that you've taken about this is what we're going to do with our business, this is how the profits are then not, you know, even if it's disassociated, it's we're still helping and we're still making a significant impact, helping others to make more of a significant impact. Um, and, And one of the challenges that we found when we've been speaking to marketers and the reason we we kind of researched and wrote the book was that there's a real lack of education about the reality of of everything that is going on people we're all kind of stuck in that groove of just carry on just carry on just carry on and and consumer you know we talk about the conscious consumerism and and that is rising and that's great but but brands and organizations really they they can't just wait for the consumers to push back. They they have to have that level of responsibility to be saying, you know, we have, we've been doing some talks and we've asked some very big questions. Would the world, you know, what what contribution are you playing to the world right now? And and would the world be a better place if you didn't exist? And those are thorny questions, uncomfortable questions. But it's it it is kind of getting to that point where organizations have to be really rethinking what it is that they are doing and how they are doing things mm. and and innovating and getting creative you know it doesn't mean stop what you're doing but it means how can we be doing this better and and i feel that as much as i see some wonderful innovations and some great things closing we we are all still a bit stuck in the groove of carry on carry on carry on so we like to ask questions, Cressy, to our to our guests. And the question I'm gonna mix it about a bit is is what do you hope that business looks like in, in 10 years' time, given that we are still, we are kind of moving out of things, things are changing. There definitely feels as if there's some energy, but but realistically, what what do you think needs to be done and what do you think it, it's gonna look like?
1: Oh, I think everything needs to be done all at once. So this is this is what makes it hard and what makes it confusing and what makes it challenging and interesting and and almost an an impossible conversation but a wonderful conversation because there's so much that needs to be done that that i simply don't understand when anyone says i'm bored i just i it, that completely frazzles me because there's so much that needs to happen um but it needs to happen politically it needs to happen socially there needs to be Uh, movements of people as well as as legal changes and companies are made up of people yeah if the if the if the teams that make up companies all arrive at the same decision and have their epiphanies then those companies are going to change their behavior and I think what's interesting about about what you're focusing on marketing is that in our interaction with a lot of big companies the sustainability team always says well we don't have the budget marketing has the budget Mm and this is why i actually think marketing is is really crucial because the marketing teams have to stop waiting for sustainability teams to deliver products perfect for them the marketing team has to has to go back to the sustainability team back to the design team yeah and say we need to change the way we make products so that we have a better t- story to tell because we don't want to mess around you know, polishing, uh, 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 what is it? Putting yes. it on a pig again. Yes. We, we literally, we literally want to tell the truth. Yes. So you're going to have to give us a better truth yes. to
2: communicate. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. And we are big champions of that.
0: And and also the marketers are the guys, you know, we are the custodian of the, of the customer. So as this consumerism is rising, as this, you know, it, we have this responsibility to take those insights. And as you say, go back and say, well, these and, and, and showcase the greenwashing, call it out and say, look, we don't, we can't, as you say, you know, I was talking about, it, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. We've got to, we've got to get to the authentic truth of this mm-hmm. and and really start to make some differences. And, and marketers can do that by driving that upwards, Yes. You know, to, to the board you, this isn't just about getting the campaign and mm, what can we do with this they need to be taking that insights and saying this needs to stop we really need to be reevaluating this look at what is going on over here have you seen this new innovation about this why aren't we looking at our uh, supply chains in this way you know we're getting some issues through the supply chain here we need to they really need to be working across the business and, and they often struggle because it's interesting you say marketing have the budget, they have to get that budget off finance. Mm. And and this comes back to an age old challenge that, you know, Gemma is probably, you know, so not bored of having because uh, you say we're not bored, but it's, it's a challenging conversation. It seems to be this between the CFO and the CMO and marketing and finance, finance is going and saying, can I get the budget? And, and, and as Gemma was saying, you know, instead of, marketing talking the language of finance, it's finance has to start understanding the language of marketing and the consumer. Uh, and and they really need to work together in a, in a much more inextricable way.
1: Yes. And this is why the larger companies tend to be the ones that move the slowest and have the most problems. Yeah. And it's because for whatever reason, they, the, the larger the company is, the, the less trust there is of each different component within the company. Yes. We're 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 tiny. That, that the finance, the marketing, I make all those decisions. Elvis yes. makes all those decisions. So we don't debate about who gets the budget. The truth is the truth. The product yep. is the product. Yeah. And the story we tell you is a result of that. Yeah. It's not um <laughs> there's no there's no division. There's no tension no. Uh, and, and, and that's, a, that's a real privilege of running a small business because we, we, we don't spend, we don't have meetings. No. We, don't, we don't debate these things. You just get on and do it. We, uh, I mean, I, gave, I did an Instagram live on Friday um, about our new site and about Elvis and Cressy's mission to be net regenerative by 2030 and why we've moved to a farm and what we're going to be doing here. That's I didn't that. talk to anybody in the business about doing it. I actually hadn't even articulated it fully to myself. I just started talking about it on Instagram. And um, now we've had all this incredible feedback about people, you know, people are debating what, why we've named our goats, the names we've given our goats. And I find it absolutely fascinating, but we're prepared to be that transparent. And I think for a lot of legacy companies, it's it's harder to be that transparent when you haven't shifted fully to an, an environmentally sensitive, socially sensitive, business model yet yeah because there are still things that you're doing as a company that you're probably not proud of a question for you is in terms of we asked this question of can marketing
2: save the planet and it, it's not it's not a tongue-in-cheek question it's a serious question from the fact that marketing has played a huge huge role in driving consumption levels to the mm-hmm. absolute limit uh marketing is done really well at, cha- at labeling at changing packaging coloring at doing all these things that have a huge impact on the planet so if marketing were to use its powers for good do you see marketing as playing a significant role in saving the planet uh,
1: of course of course because the we, one of the things that we know was let's say a failure in the the, the green movement that that probably came in the late seventies and in the eighties was that the, the largely the products weren't good. Mm. And, and, and people just thought they would buy them because they were green. The products weren't necessarily good and they certainly weren't communicated. Like there wasn't sophisticated communications behind them. So the, the marketing could have an enormous impact, but I think the, the, the main thing that would have to happen is exactly what you said the whole industry would have to decide that that's what it was there for.
2: Yeah.
1: And it would have to say, well, you know, we can't help bad companies look good anymore. We're going to abandon them. So I I gave a a speech once to a group of speech writers and, uh, and the question at the end was, do you, you know, do you think that we can, what, what do you think we impact we can have on, on, on our industry? And I said, you there's no point in writing speeches for for bad bosses or for CEOs that are unwilling to change. And I and I said, you know, these are the the top speechwriters in Europe that work for the the, the top companies. And I mean, because obviously, I'm not paying a speechwriter to go. With what I say? Um, so I said, you know, you should leave. You should take yeah. your town somewhere else. Yeah. But that's only going to work if if they do it on mass. Yes. So if marketing declares a climate emergency and 99% of the industry signs up to it and they agree that they're not going to help any company uh, communicate anything about climate unless that company is acting yeah. on its promises, then, wow. 100%. I love that. Marketing yeah.
2: taking away the voice of yeah. those organizations. Yes. That's a movement, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. And it's kind of something we're toying with and we're trying, you know, we are saying that it... It's sustainability should be part of marketing qualifications. You shouldn't be able to be a marketer if you've not been educated around. the reality of what goes on across a business and where sustainability touches. And there are some pledges. I saw the Advertising Association, you know, they've got this Planet Pledge. There's, a, there's another global pledge. It's starting to emerge. But again, I think we're going to find ourselves in a fragmented space for a while. Uh, but if we can get to enough marketers to actually just start to question and say, I'm not comfortable doing that that's because when we talk about greenwashing it's lying it's Mm. not you know it's it posturing of the truth and doing it this way and that way it you know it it is it's just it's it's lies isn't it it's
1: yes I mean it used to be I I think I was I was reading um uh, Lucy Siegel on on Twitter was commenting that one thing we have to watch out for now is sports washing so there's a lot of not very great brands that have chosen to sponsor sports teams yes they have and and that is, that's old school greenwashing, isn't yes. it? Because yeah. those companies aren't making a statement about their green credentials or or anything like that. They're just aligning themselves to something better than, than, <laughs> than what they are. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a certainly a fascinating tactic. Yeah. Um, but yes, a lot of the greenwashing when companies say, oh, oh you know, this is a, 100% recycled product, and it just
0: isn't. So to round off this wonderful podcast, Cressy, because it's been really wonderful to, to hear from you, and um, uh, and I, I feel we could just probably sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours and just pick up some wonderful insights from you. If you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainable business or sustainable marketing, what, what would you say for somebody who's thinking, for that marketer that is sit, sitting there perhaps thinking, mm, this is interesting, um, but I'm not sure where to start or I'm not sure where to go or what do I do? What, what, what
1: advice would you give? What inspiration or advice? Well, certainly, if I was in marketing, I would I would start hunting for a, a product that was based on truth and, a, and an offering that was based on truth. And it, it, it and these exist in all industries. You know, there's an incredible farm in California called Singing Frogs Farm, which all it does is increase topsoil and sequester carbon and do all sorts of wonderful things. You know, there's there's every kind of business you could possibly imagine. There's eco consultancies. There's ethical accountancies. There's all kinds of companies doing amazing things. Most of them, most of them have a marketing weakness. I would say, I would argue that Elvis and Cressy has a marketing weakness. I would argue that we, if we, if we brought in a, a, a proper marketing professional, could probably be eight or nine times the size that we are because we'd have someone focusing on that. And, and certainly, that's a, probably a whole other podcast trying to recruit for that. <laughs> um, but I would find a, a, something that you believed in and i would go for i would go for that i would say look i can see that i've got the skills that you lack yep. let's let's go for it yes and and take your skills to to a place that needs them and is going to make the best use of them and then imagine how wonderful your job would be because you're you're doing something that's incredibly important you're amplifying something that's impactful and working and whether that's a, a you know a business or a charity it doesn't matter i just think people need to I assess in every industry you need to assess what skills you've got and you need to think right I, these are great skills I need to put them to good use yeah. I need to put them into climate action and yep. and and there's yeah there's all kinds of opportunity that way attach yourself to a problem there yeah. you
0: go there you go perfect and that's what we're brilliant at the problem solvers find the problem and come out with the solution
2: thank you so much for joining us today it's been brilliant
1: no oh, thank you guys